HRU comes from Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors magazine, covering Maine's boats, harbors, arts, and architecture since 1987. Bringing the coast as close as the mailbox, on the web at mainboats.com. Excuse me, does this do anything for you? How about this? this because this is the sort of thing we play in adagio slowed down bluesy jazz so dial us up tuesday evenings at six you might like it you might even hear something that really moves you Boat Talk is made possible in part by the Red Fern Boat Company of Hancock County. Since 1982, offering maintenance, storage, and restoration for power boats and sailboats. Also offering dockage on Mount Desert Island, redfernboat.com. The time is 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online everywhere at weru.org. Boat Talk with your hosts Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk here on Community Radio WERU-FM Blue Hill. Boat Talk is a call-in radio show for community radio that's uh, for people contemplating things naval with your rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. And welcome back to Giffy Full, too, who's going to be joining us. Um, Boat Talk is a nautical show that has all kinds of uh, erratic soundings. And speaking of soundings, I'd like to dedicate this show, it's kind of be a happy dedication in this case, to uh, my friend Tom, from uh, an old friend of mine from high school, who over the years had gradually uh, pretty much grown deaf, had been pretty much uh, unable to hear for the last 15 years. Tom just had a what's called a cochlear implant put in about a month ago or so, where it's a little, uh, I guess you'd call it a bionic piece of equipment that uh, goes into your ear and can electronically stimulate the uh, the nerves inside your ear so that your hearing is um, pretty much not totally restored, but you're able to uh, hear conversations and music and uh, enjoy life as it used to be. So uh, it's a, sort of a happy dedication to Tom, who just had his cochlear implant tuned up yesterday. They had to let it sit for about a month or so before they actually uh, tune it in. And he tuned it in yesterday and said he was going to be listening to this show today, uh, hearing a lot of good sounds for a long time now. Uh, congratulations, Tom. Yeah. We have yeah. a, a whole raft of issues to discuss. Um, let's... Uh, See what Mike has there. Well, uh, and like I say, Giffy Full is, is uh, here this morning, and, and uh, we always like that. Giffy likes uh, 
is here for the summer and uh, probably going south again this winter, Giffy? Mm, not by water. Not by water this time. <laughs> but like no. I say, headed south. No. And uh, funny thing you mentioned that because Florida is getting, seen, appears to be getting more unfriendly to the cruising person. Uh, getting chased out of anchorages and more difficult to find a pleasant place to anchor in and so I there's a lot of berths but they're all yeah a lot, a lot of them are full of boats just sitting there for yeah. one thing and uh, i i know some people that uh, brought their boat back from down south because of that reason said they, they found it more difficult all the time they said uh, so they brought their boat uh, Home to Maine. One thing we like about uh, boating is that you get to see the best parts of the real estate from, from the water, uh, for one thing. Now, as we like to say, you can't drive down the Rockefeller's driveway and say, hey, I, I think I'm going to spend the evening right here, but you can go throw your anchor out in their front yard, you know, mm -hmm. but you can't, in fact, anchor just anywhere. And uh, again, with commercial development comes, comes a lot of restrictions in anchorage. Um, a friend of mine a uh, young kid trying to take his boat down south, he run into that, you know. Mm -hmm. You can't just... Uh, well, talking about uh, the waterside view of all these places, too, that, that connects to the Boat Talk Cruise, we should probably mention. Boat Talk Cruise is going to be happening again this fall, October 1st. Another one? We, yep. do, it, uh, we do quite a lot of those, don't we? That's uh, good, uh, though. Saturday, October 1st, from 4 until 7 p.m., just give Chris a call here at the front desk, 469-6600, for tickets for the next Boat Talk Cruise. Bar Harbor Boating, once again, uh, the Sea Princess out of uh, Northeast Harbor. And the legendary three-hour cruise. It's a BYOB. It's kind of a uh, uh, potluck. And nobody has ever had a bad time yet. <laughs> Why would they? Yeah. Really. It's not even possible. Uh, yeah. Kids are free on the boat, so, you know, you think you'd have kids just to bring them. Mm -hmm. uh, they've been only free on the boat, mind you. But, uh, like I say, it's always a good time, the Boat Talk Cruise. Uh, what was the date again, Alan? October 1st, it's a Saturday, nice. 4 until 7 p.m. Nice. Now, it's back to speaking about anchorages, too. I've been down island last winter, and uh, Giffy's right, there is less places to hook up, but part of it is uh, for the reason that the uh, coral reefs are getting pretty torn up by a lot of these anchors uh, hooking up and down through them all the time now. So now there's lots of areas now where you can, they have mooring set in, but you cannot drop an anchor. Heard the other day, it could have been on on uh, the radio that coral reefs may be the first geologic, uh, uh, the first uh, what would you call it? Because uh, they're alive. It's it's a rock, yeah. but it's it's an alive rock. Okay, we may be able to extinct coral reefs on this planet, which is a pretty unprecedented extinction, and they're headed that way. Also, an article in the paper right here is really interesting. The uh, Arctic sea ice is at its absolute minimum it's ever been. They uh, say that navigation will be good up there uh, right through October, and they expect in a couple of decades for the ice pole to possibly be ice-free, wow. the North Pole ice-free in the summertime. I know a lot of shipping companies are talking couple, about the northern route. A couple of ships in, um, from Finland have made trips uh, somewhere in Asia and cut the time in half. Yeah. The Russians are the people who are... Be uh, they 
front more more of that than anybody else besides Canada, I, I guess you could say. And uh, again, they are feeling pretty possessive of it up there and looking for, uh, you know, things is changing. We talked about that. Uh, uh, well, we talk about that all the time. The oceans are generally I've been out there for 30 years. I see changes. Giffy, in your lifetime, you must notice so much more. Oh, yeah. Sure. It uh, goes without saying, I, I've gotten stuck in the ice delivering boats two or three times. Not not seriously stuck, but definitely stuck for three or four hours. Never had that experience. Again, yeah, I'm... Yeah. I'm uh, I despair things are getting hotter uh, in a way. Uh, you know, I'd rather go north into the ice than, than uh, south to the equator, honestly, but that's just me. Boy, all the horror stories you hear about people getting stuck in the ice. It doesn't sound like a place I'd care to be. Yeah. Remember our friends um, who were went up to, was it Norway, and they got frozen in the ice, and then while they were frozen in, the uh, officials came by and told them they had to leave. Dave and Jaja Martin, yeah, we talked right. to them uh, uh, a long time ago, and they wrote a great book, and I wish I could think of the title of it. Well, and you did a, a, a literal shout-out to your buddy this morning, didn't you? That's in the radio yep. world. That's called a shout-out okay. to your now-hearing buddy. How great to get that back, too. Uh, maybe there's stuff that he hasn't missed, and he might want to tune out now that he knows the difference, you know. <laughs> yeah, you want to stay awake for at least three weeks just so you can hear stuff. I've learned now that I have a truck with a radio, I don't need to listen to it all the time, yeah. all right? One, one of the uh, interesting comments was when he uh, emailed me earlier, about a week or so ago, that this was going to be happening. Um, I emailed him back that it sounded like kind of a neat invention that could actually uh, electronically make a stimulation into your nerves, and I needed one of those implants in my brain so I could tune in to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. His comment back was that he said that his his hearing probably should be improved by about 86%, but he's not so sure about his listening. <laughs> <laughs> and again, we can, we can come up with technology to uh, fix almost any of that. Um, you're shouting out to your friend this morning. I want to shout out to uh, my friend Bob Scott, who has uh, the New York 32 Falcon down in Castine. And uh, New York 32 is actually a 46-foot wooden boat. It's a classic Very Sparkman beautiful. and Stevens. Uh, built boat. 1936, made her first uh, Bermuda race in 1936. She won the uh, Marblehead to Halifax race this year. Ooh, won it. They get uh, a um, uh, an age handicap, I believe. In no, uh, Bob is pretty good at winning races, and that's not something that uh, just happens accidentally, I don't think. But here's what we're getting to. Last month on Boat Talk, we talked about the uh, disastrous Penobscot expedition back in 1779. Uh, Paul Revere and a lot of other people uh, had a bad time. The Americans lost uh, uh, more ships here than we did up till Pearl Harbor. Uh, worst stable feat ever, and, and author Bernard Cornwell uh, was our guest for the hour. He's written a great new novel called The Fort, which is uh, available and is the story of what went down in Castine in 1779. Now, Bernard Cornwell came to town on August on September the 1st, a Thursday evening, and gave a talk down at the church in Castine. Just delightful, just delightful. And he spoke for about an hour and a half and then took took questions. And uh, honestly, I was a little embarrassed last month that we couldn't fit that story into an hour, and he couldn't fit it into an hour and a half with questions either. <laughs> so it's very interesting. But here's the, here's the shout-out, uh, Bob Scott and Falcon, um, trying to figure out how we would interview Bernard, making offers back and forth, but on the phone or in person, um, offered, you know, I don't want to mess up your visit, but if you'd like to go out sailing, 
And so we went sailing out on Falcon with Bernard Cornwell the afternoon he came to give the talk. And that, in effect, is uh, what we did was we went and walked the battlefield, but on the water side, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, Bob had done a great, great job, a couple of pictures of things at low tide. And, and you know, we sailed in and out here where they went and uh, dragged cannon across this and, and up over there and beat out of the harbor uh, against the wind uh, with the tide, you know, and, and just had quite a day. And uh, it really was, uh, like I say, quite a delight to walk the battlefield with author Bernard Cornwell and couldn't have done it without Bob Scott. A true him. trail of history right there. Yeah, and just a delightful uh, chat there. So anyway, uh, that's my shout-out this morning. Oh, we should also shout-out our uh, call-in number, too. As we said, this is a, a call-in show for people contemplating things naval, and the number to call is one 866 Six two five nine three seven eight. I see here the uh, port of uh, Portland is putting five million dollars into their container uh, infrastructure, and the port of Portland was shipping out containers for uh, about seventeen years with an Icelandic company. And three and a half years ago, they just stopped doing it, and uh, now another company has picked it up, and they are feeding those containers to Halifax, where they have a real container port. And uh, most of this $5 million is ripping stuff down and leveling and making big open spaces and reinforcing uh, things so that they can take heavier weights. But, uh, you know, shipping out of the state of Maine happens basically in Eastport and Portland nowadays and, and uh, right locally at Mac Point and Searsport. And, uh, again, we connect to the rest of the world. I think it's crucial. I didn't know if Giffy would have anything yeah, to say about well, that. Well, I, I think... Possibly, uh, with the cost of fuel go going up all the time, that uh, more stuff will come in and out of Maine via barge. Containers, possibly on barges. But uh, um, another something. another thing we talk about on boat talk: um, these uh, ships that bring everything from the Walmart. They're not our ships. The ships that bring the oil, they're not our ships. Yeah. Okay. No, no. The barges that go up and down the shore, up the up and coastwise, those are our ships. Um, our merchant marine uh, is is largely uh, tugs and barges up and down the coast here. Very few American flagships. Yep. Very few. You just uh, have to wonder if they get all mad at us and don't want to ship us our uh, Dexter shoes back from China. You know. Well, that's uh, that's partially our fault. Partially our fault. I, myself, uh, I, I don't dislike people. That isn't the point. But when I go shopping, if it's made in China, I put it back on the shelf. I look I'm, at I'm everything I buy now. I do. I turn it over, too. And look yeah, I look at it. Pretty hard it, not to find made in China, yeah, though, isn't it? You know, but uh, once in a while, I do. ABC News did a uh, story on that. They went into people's houses, and, and, and what they left them with was uh, literally uh, a toaster oven. And, and uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know. A really old They left them with almost nothing. Yeah, well, that's our fault. We've got to, got to turn that around. It's up to us to do it. And you've got to understand that, like, uh, all those containers that come to the West Coast from China, it's all, all Chinese ships. Uh, Mostly going up the Delaware River, going into Miami, going into New York. All you got to do is look at the label. It's Costco, China Ocean Shipping Company. Uh, you know, that's one of the biggest companies going. And the containers go back empty. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'll be uh, headed up the Delaware Bay about this time next week. And uh, uh, last uh, two years ago, we were up there, and it was a uh, stormy uh, time, and uh, we passed 29 ships at anchor, waiting to go up the bay to yeah. Philadelphia and Baltimore. They're mostly there. tankers. Um, tankers and, and uh, 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 what do you call them? Container ships as well, Giffy. Yeah. Could be. You couldn't hardly read the names or where those ships come from because of the foreign writing on them. And talking with people on the, and listening to them on the radio, like I say, is not, you know. So anyway, uh, we are, uh, you know, happy to be boat builders sometimes when we realize the world is mostly water. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? And, and uh, here's the other thing. It's the largest area on Earth, but it's also, in a sense, uh, hardly governed, let alone... Is it at all governable when you get right down to it? Uh, who is looking out for what happens out there? Flags of convenience and all that. I asked you a quick question before we started here, Giffy. I didn't know whether to bring this up this morning, but uh, Bath Ironworks just launched a, uh, another Arley Burke Destroyer uh, a couple weeks ago, and they have one more that they're making. That'll be the last one. They made uh, almost three dozen of those. Um, Bath Ironworks is the largest employer in the state. They employ 5,700 people, and uh, yeah, by far the large, uh, the largest single employer in the state. They're right now uh, trying to s secure Navy funding for the new generation of uh, oh, they're super high tech uh, uh, new destroyers, uh, the D1000 series. I forget what the name on them, uh, on them is, but a uh, very high tech thing. That may be the future here. We are also looking at the possibility of building warships for Saudi Arabia in Bath, Maine, at Bath Ironworks. Um, is that something we want to do? Uh, building ships is good. Well, the answer to that seems to be rather straightforward. They're probably going to have somebody build them anyhow. Yep. So we might as well. But my fear is if you dug deeper, you'd find uh, maybe we're helping pay for them. Oh, no doubt. A lot of our for a lot of our best foreign aid, in a way, is money that again we give to somebody and they spend on something that that you know yeah. we sell to them. I suspect that may be the case. Uh, and I say best. You uh, don't you don't get to learn about that in the newspapers. I say best with air quotes around it. Um, Bath Ironworks, the lar largest single employer in the state, um, fifty seven hundred people. The average age of a shipbuilder down there is fifty two years old. Ooh. And that fellow has been there uh, between 13 and 20 years, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, how about the kids? Are they coming along? And can you, can you make that workforce of people who are as excellent at building ships as those people without cumulative experience? You just can't hire yeah, anybody. That's what they do. It's, uh, you go in there young and you learn the, pretty much I think you learn the trade there, right? I, I, suspect that's a it. pretty specific trade yeah 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 um, and that shipyard is a uh, is a worldwide uh, uh, world-class resource that has been there since colonial yeah. times uh, you can argue whether or not we want warships at all and, and about the politics of Saudi Arabia yeah. but but somebody has to look out for what's happening at sea and and uh, we got to have navies they got to have ships and uh, we got to have people working here, yeah. and those jobs are, like I say. Well, I, I, I agree about the jobs. I think that there is a, a good way to do that without having to necessarily make warships, but uh, we do have a phone call, so let's go to that first. Thank goodness. Let's get the phone Good. number one more time, quick, too. one 625 9378 Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. 
Good morning. It's Sydney from Dover Foxcroft. Hello, Sydney. I have a question about this Bath Iron Works. Uh, um, did, so, did they dredge out the uh, the channel to get the uh, ship out? I believe they did, and that caused yeah, some yeah. controversy too. Uh, there was some yeah. protest about the dredging, and not the dredging itself, but uh, where it might go. Where it would go, and, and the time of the season not being the most uh, con- conducive. It kind of sounds like the guy who builds a uh, boat in his garage, and then it doesn't fit out the <laughs> door. Out the door, yeah. I, I, I got a physics question here. Um, uh, you guys probably know. Um, I seem to remember we bought Bath Ironworks a huge floating dry dock. Uh, how does the buoyancy work on that? Couldn't they have put that on the dry dock and, and, and raised it up so that they wouldn't have to dredge out the channel? Just an idea. Oh, good Lord, who knows? No, no, and the dry that, dock's in Portland, for yeah. one thing. Well, no, yes, but the other thing is that would mean having a dry dock that was uh, readily movable. And that wouldn't be the case. Most dry docks have got so much gear attached to them. From the uh, Bangor Daily News of September 7th, it says that the DEP received no complaints during the dredge project of unreasonable environmental impacts. Despite concerns expressed by opponents in advance of the dredge, there was no documented takes of endangered fish, no clam flats closed, and sampling by the Department of Marine Resources of the in-river disposal site did not document any elevated levels of bacteria. So, and again, uh, you know, you dig up the mud at your own peril, there's no doubt about it, but, uh, uh, you know, if you don't dig that river out, it is going to fill up. Mm-hmm. Rivers do that anyhow, and they have to be cleaned out. Yeah. the same <coughs> problem constantly with the mouth of the Mississippi. Right. So it's never a last-ditch effort. The uh, rivers, uh, the Union River in Ellsworth, for instance, in the back in the old sawmill days, was full of sawdust and and, and logs. Yeah, they logs. filled it up. Uh, we filled it up ourselves, uh, let alone Mother Nature. Are you still there, Sydney? No, oh, I guess Sydney's gone. No, Sydney's gone. Anyway, we give the phone number again, hoping somebody else would call one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. We don't end up talking to ourselves here this morning. So back to the. Uh, the uh, employment <coughs> at Bath Ironworks, after talking to a friend of mine a few years back who was saying that, as you were saying, Mike, that they're very high-tech boats that they build there, and there's a lot of uh, security involved with working with a lot of the high-tech equipment and uh, machines and so forth that they're using that. So you have to, you not only do you have to be a, a good uh, boat builder, you have to pass a security <coughs> test before you can get these jobs, especially in a lot of the uh, electronics areas. So... Employment isn't just a matter of showing up there at the door and then getting a job that you can do other than sweeping out in the backyard uh, or something. All right, I see your point. They wouldn't have either you or me, but, but yeah. you know, lots of other people. So here's the alternative. How about if we made something like hospital ships there that aren't going to be such a security risk that more people could get a job fairly easy installing cabinets or whatever there. Uh, Double-bottom tankers, uh, yeah. you know, wind ships that will sail efficiently, cargo our own uh, U.S. flag wind ships to sail. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of dreams, man, but then there's reality, too. And, and uh, the fact is they've been w- building warships there forever. And, again, uh, you know, this audience may... Uh, not like the idea of a warship, but you got to have some. Somebody's <coughs> got to build them, and again, uh, those are uh, really good jobs. That again, the, it's uh, what I'm talking about here is the pool of experience is is another thing that is is a huge asset down there at Bath well, Iron. The quality Works. of their work has always been superior. 
Yeah. yeah and their, when their ships go out and they're relatively trouble free. Yeah. Uh, we talked about uh, Benedict Arnold years ago, uh, a couple years back here on Boat Talk, and his uh, um, battle on Lake Champlain in 1776, I think it was, 77, I guess, to uh, delay the British coming down Lake Champlain for the years. Now, he had to build a fleet, and he did that in the woods at the end of Lake Champlain, and they were paying boat builders more than they were paying admirals at that time, okay, because... There were two things that Benedict Arnold could not conjure out of nothing, boat builders and sailors. Hmm. Okay, you can, get, you can give me a militia private. He's not a boat builder. He's not a sailor. I need skilled people. That's the asset, you know. And it remains true nowadays, too, I would think. On, uh, oh, another issue of the Bangor Daily News here points out, uh, this was about a uh, oh, new ocean uh, studies and stuff, but I just took this one line from it. All told, Maine's ocean contributes more than $2.6 billion each year to our economy. Wow. Fishing, building boats. I'm uh, hoping people with the yachts coming and going, yep. uh, you know, all that stuff. $2.6 no, billion. It is. a big business throughout Maine. And I hope it continues. To, uh, the new boatyard in Belfast looks to be filling up. There's a lot of boats all there. There are new marinas full of boats. What I could see going by the other day, and looked positive. So I'm glad to see that taking place. Well, um, like I said, things are changing, and uh, I guess the the thing is to come out with with uh, some changes we can all live around, you know, and <coughs> and uh, economically and physically, uh, morally, philosophically, and all of the different ways. I guess you know. Uh, it's still beautiful. It's always going to be beautiful. <laughs> but like I say, it's not always the same thing. Boat Talk. We do it about once a month here on WERU. If you don't give us a call this morning, you have to wait a, wait a month. Uh, 1-866-625-9378. Um, Giffy Fall, we're, uh, like I say, uh, so happy to have your experience here. You have been uh, uh, surveying boats for a long, long time. And as we talked about a long time ago, you, you grew up in Marblehead, Massachusetts, right near Boatyard, didn't That's you? That's correct. Yeah. Started, uh, uh, you know, under the boats in the sawdust shaven. Uh, you were a captain. Later on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. First yeah. started out as, the, uh, as a runt in the punts, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Probably got spanked a couple of times, too. Well, that you know, that, you can't do what in boat yards now what you could do. No, 40, no, 50, I mean, no. you could pretty much just walk in and, and no, talk to the can't, people. No, you can't because of all the legal problems and and uh, you, you name it. It's, there weren't those complications when I was a kid growing up. You could walk in and out of the boat yard. Of course, you know, I got chased out of there a few times. I got used to being kicked out because kids become a nuisance. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I tried not to bother anybody. It was so wonderful to watch these men uh, building all kinds of, of wooden yachts, everything from 10-foot yeah. uh, dinghies to 70-foot custom-built yards. I imagine some of the old guys, too, appreciated you having around and not didn't just chase you out, but just told you, you know, stay, no, go stay away the, from that machine. Or, you, oh, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then, and of course, the men didn't have to go over to the local little variety store to get their 
sodas and stuff, they send Giffy over uh, there. <laughs> uh, and like I say, a kid that's not in the way sometimes yeah. ain't a real they kid. Always, so there. They always found something for me to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, where I was going with that was, again, the accumulated knowledge, the yeah. accumulated yeah. experience, you yeah. know, and, and you've yeah. been at that your whole and life. And they, um, they also As repaired they a lot of boats there, too. Yeah. So you got to see the problems that people had with boats or sometimes uh, boats were in accidents and so forth, and they had to bring them in and rebuild them. Yeah. And I, can, I can remember I saw the very, very end of Prohibition, the very end of it, because they brought in a 75-foot Coast Guard boat that was built to chase rum runners. And um, this particular one, it was, the boat was always referred to as a six Six bitter because she was seventy five feet long, and she she was chasing a rum runner. The rum runner went under the tow line of an offshore tow, and <laughs> the coast guard cutter was right behind him. Couldn't make it. Couldn't make it. <laughs> yeah. Hit the barge. Mm. Took about eight feet of her bow right off. Right off. Oh, good. And I was thinking the cable came into the pilot house. No, that no, been they, awful. she hit the barge, and uh, they. Um, they got her into the yard there in Marblehead and had her on the railway, putting a new bow in her. Mm. Well, we're talking about the accumulated uh, knowledge and the assets of, of uh, experience in boat builders, but your knowledge, like I say, is, is quite accumulated and quite an asset, too. You, um, you know, I'm interested how you first, uh, how, how did you become a surveyor, uh, Giffy? I mean, I grew up to be a boat builder. That's more yeah, obvious. Yeah, but I became a surveyor purely by accident. Uh, it's nothing that I had planned on doing. I hadn't even really thought anything about it in particular. But what happened, uh, all along towards the end of my career as a yacht captain on private yachts, uh, uh, people came to me, and particularly um, companies like John Alden Company in Boston, Eldridge McGinnis, and they would be selling uh, a boat. And uh, the, the, they didn't have anybody to really do a thorough examination of the boats. And back in those days, there were a lot of surveyors, but they just did insurance company work. They didn't do what we refer to as a pre-purchase survey. Very few. And then I happened to watch a man some many years ago in Fort Lauderdale who was really good. I happened to be at a yard doing some work there. And I watched this man. He spent two days fine combing about a 60-foot yacht there. And I said, that man knows what he's doing. Sounding things out. Yeah, yeah, and uh, checking things real thoroughly. Mm -hmm. And I said, that man knows what he's doing. That's the kind of man I'd want to look over both for me. So it made me think, you know, how careful you have to be to properly examine a boat. And... Uh, I just, I had a case this last couple of years where people had bought a very large, expensive yacht and had the boat surveyed and the work was done wrong. Work was do totally done wrong. And uh, that boat had to go into a yard and have major, major work done. Major work. Where just that particular part of the work was probably between four hundred and fifteen, five hundred and fifty thousand dollars. 
because the boat had never been properly inspected. And but anyhow, um, I did a few of these jobs and and you know tried to be very thorough, look at everything. It didn't matter whether it was going aloft and looking at the rigging and the fittings up there and make sure they're all in good order or going through the bilges or checking the fuel tanks or wiring. Like being a detective. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I realized it took a lot of time to do it right. And uh, it was just one of those things that kind of grew on its own. And uh, the last yacht that I was running, the lady that owned the yacht passed away, and and everybody came to me and asked me if I'd just stay and... They said, if you'll, you'll continue to do this work, we'll continue to see that you get plenty of work. That's all, basically how it happened. And you basically traveled the world. And, that's, uh, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, have looked yeah. at a lot of interesting vessels and a lot of interesting spots. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, people used to say to me, oh, that's wonderful, you get to do this and that. Well, that's not the case. When you, when you go someplace like the Caribbean or the West Coast or or even England or France or someplace like that to inspect a yacht. You're not there sightseeing. No. You're there to do a job and and my attitude is when you travel like that, you you you've got to eight hours means nothing. Nothing because you're there to get that job accomplished and you're gonna work as many hours as it takes to do it. Yeah. And then you get on the plane and go home or somewhere else. And then I remember one time uh, doing a big minesweeper for the Navy in Charleston. When I was there a week to, to do just the woodwork on a 180-foot minesweeper. And when I left, they shipped my tools. They shipped my tools instead of back to Boston, my tools or my clothes and... The only thing I had getting on the plane was my briefcase. They shipped everything else out to Los Angeles, and it was gone. It was gone for almost two weeks before I got it back. Uh huh. Then, then when they found my gear, they sent it back to Charleston instead of sending it to Boston, like they were told to do. You know. That made a certain amount of sense. Yeah. You <laughs> used to be in Charleston. Yeah, and you you got to go out and scramble enough tools together to keep going. You know? Yeah. Hmm. So anyhow, it's been an interesting time, but it's over with now, essentially. Well, we've heard rumors of your <laughs> retirement are, are uh, uh, highly no, exaggerated no. from moment to moment. No. Yeah, and I love again. doing the work. I didn't really mind traveling. Uh, but my age now, I don't want to look at any paperwork for anybody. Well, paperwork, that's a... Yeah. You mentioned insurance companies before and saying that, uh, you know, they like to survey boats. They want to know everything that's on the boat and they want to know it'll probably float. Um, then you mentioned an owner pre-purchase survey, which is a whole different kettle of fish. Whole that's, different, yeah. You need to not only know everything that's on the yeah. boat, but you yeah. want to know... You want to know the condition of every fiber of wood on that, yeah, every yeah, every yeah. molecule on that and, boat. And no matter how thorough you are on some of these boats, you're going to miss something. The most important thing, it better be minor. A lot of stuff is hidden on a boat yeah, when you yeah. go to look at it. And yeah. and what I learned, I, I used to uh, uh, help our old friend Vale Marvin survey. Yeah. And uh, you've got to just sit and and take time and you can't just bop in there and go oh, this looks good 
Sit there for a while. Even when you think there's nothing to look at, sit there for a while, and I bet you might see something. Well, yeah. Uh, That's happened a couple of times to me. Yep. And you not only have to sit there, you have to look up and look down and look around. You have to look in places. How is this made? What's that connected to? Where's the water go is always the question in a boat. Where's the water go? If it sheds water, it'll live a long time. And there's always somebody quite often that's... uh, having their boat surveyed, and they don't want to see you. <laughs> Giffy, yeah. I, I uh, knew a surveyor who, whose nickname was the Dream Killer, okay, because uh, <laughs> you've got a dr- I've got a dream. I want to buy this boat. Yeah. I want to get you to check it out, and you're going to come well, back. You're, and you're probably going to kill my dream. You're, you're probably referring to me because uh, I got the nickname of Dr. Doom. Dr. <laughs> Doom. And again, yeah. like I say, finding problems nobody yeah, really yeah, wants yeah. to hear yeah, about. about yeah. But, I, uh, yeah, I've but heard. if we don't look at reality, yeah. uh, and this is one of my favorite Botox themes, if we don't look hard at reality in the, in the ocean environment, it can be fatal. It, it can but be there's nice things about it. And I remember I, a couple of years ago, I got a letter from a man out in Seattle. Had a, had a yacht that I surveyed for him, and she had some problems, and we negotiated it, and they repaired the boat. And he's, he's had the boat for 25 years or something now, and he wrote me a nice letter and told me how much fun his family growing up have had in that boat and how much he appreciated the work I did for him and getting it straightened out. And he said, this boat is everything to my family, and my children mm-hmm. will take this boat over. And I, I've seen this happen recently in Maine. There's an elderly schooner here that's been here for a long time. And uh, we've, we've had a bunch of work done on her over the years, and now another family has taken her over. And it's some sometimes, you know, you can get a lot of satisfaction out of helping somebody. Right. Uh, in, in your case, yeah. that, that one's more like a dream keeper. Yeah. Well, than... but it's, it's, very imp- it's very important to do a correct job because there's, there's people that can get hurt financially a, if yeah, you that don't. Was, that was Mike was saying. And hurt, not physically, just yeah. hurt physically as well yeah. or yeah. Uh, not minorly uh, or majorly inconvenienced, yeah. you know. Yeah. 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 yeah, We're talking to Giffy Fole this morning. He sits in with us on Boat Talk uh, every chance we can get him over here. Probably headed off for the winter, though. Um, you'd like to join the conversation about any time. Give us a call. One eight six 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 two five nine three. Giffy does have to run off a little early today for an appointment, so I'd like to, before you leave, talk about this one boat that was uh, an article in uh, the July issue of Maine Coastal News about a steam yacht, the Cangarda, um, built in 1901 at Pussy and Jones in Wilmington, Delaware, for Charles Canfield. And it says here in the beginning that. Canfield only kept the boat for a couple of years because he lost it in a divorce settlement with Belle, his wife, while when she, she was waiting at the dock with her lawyer when he came back from a cruise with his girlfriend. <laughs> and she didn't want the boat, really. He, she just didn't want the girlfriend on the boat and have her husband be happy. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it, besides the fact that this is uh, yeah. uh, over it's a ver- years old, it's a steam, steam launch, too. And I think steam engines, I find them particularly intriguing. Yeah. That is also a very unusual boat, and it was just uh, beautifully redone at, at yeah. Wayfair. Yeah. Wayfair. It's done a, a beautiful, very, yeah, beautiful ver- job. It's very unusual because of its narrowness for yeah, its length. Yeah. 
Yeah, but you go through the water easy. The captain says she does, you got to think about turning her for a while, though, yeah, you know, yeah. before you actually do it. She's yeah. long, and, long and straight and narrow. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, um, yeah, it's an interesting situation. There's a case of a man that originally was involved with that boat that wouldn't listen. And uh, he got very seriously hurt because he didn't listen. I, I was called to survey this boat, and I, I didn't know much about what I was getting into. <coughs> uh, the steam yacht, and of course, when I was a kid growing up, there was still a lot of steam yachts around. I, I knew basically what the boat was apt to be like. Well, they get up there and find out uh, up in, uh, <coughs> I guess it's, I can't even remember straight up on uh, Lake Ontario. She was up there. She'd been tied up behind an old railroad station and been in the water there for 30 years without being hauled out. Mm. Over, yeah, 30-plus years without being ever hauled out. Wow. And uh, <clears throat> so I get up there to to survey this boat, and the first thing I wanted to do was try to look at <clears throat> what she was like in her bilges. Well, it's a good thing when I got down her bilges, I never stepped on any plating. And it's a, it's a steel I, boat? I, it was just nothing but a pile of muck and rust. But what I did, just a simple thing, I got down in, on my hands and knees on, on the steel floor timbers, which were pretty mucky, and uh, <laughs> I took a, a nail clip out of my pocket. I didn't take any tools down there. And, and started to scratch around on one of her, her plates, and the nail clip went through. Oh, boy. Now you've made a hole in the boat. Yeah, right. and the water's running in. Uh-oh. I said, uh-oh, uh-oh. Save ourselves and then the and boat. And as I looked around further, there were sticks of wood uh, stuck up to the overhead, holding a, a rag and another piece of wood on... Some other place where there was a hole, you know. Oh, boy. So I said to another man that was with me, and, of course, the buyer was there. There was a whole pile of old paint cans down on the stern deck. I said, dig around there and see if you can find me some old putty or something. And i got to make up something to stick in this hole and try to stop the water coming through. So they looked around, couldn't find anything, and while I'm waiting... It stops. Well, what, <laughs> it was, what it was was grass and muck in the water just finally kind of... That was right. It's so yeah, much of a growth on the outside. The hole, you know? <laughs> well, I looked around everywhere so I could for a while. And the, engine, the engine actually looked pretty good. It wasn't rusty and dirty or anything. It was just been sitting there for 30-odd years. And... Uh, I didn't think there was any problem with the engine. We'd had the boiler tested by somebody before we came up there, but it was the bottom was so horribly bad that, and everything was tired in the boat, and you know, it just been lived on by a, an elderly person and no work. You know? mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I told him, I said, you know, this this situation is impossible. I said this. Uh, this boat, as far as I can see right now, without continuing any further, is going to have to have a whole new bottom. Everything. Frames, plating, everything. 
And I said, you know, I, I, you know, you'd have a major job to move this boat. And uh, <clears throat> it's, it's in a precarious situation. And I, I told the man that was it wanted to buy it. I said, you know, th this is this is ridiculous right off the bat because you're talking about uh, a job here that probably, you know, this is many years ago, but it's going to be a million plus dollars just to start here and get this thing under control. And that's going to be a lot of money. I said, I don't think you should do this at all. I think it would be a wonderful thing for somebody could do it, but this isn't anything you're going to get into. It's going to wind up in a disaster. A hole in the water. Unlimited amounts of money. Yeah. So he said, okay. We quit and got on the plane, went home. He went back a month later and bought it. And let's imagine this boat. I mean, it's beautiful. And then they didn't know how they were going to move it. So they got me to come down to a meeting and in a, a shipyard where he was going to take it, and we batted it around and about putting it on a barge or a pontoon or this or that. And uh, I said, the liability of, you'd have to move this boat down the New York State Waterway. Oh, good Lord. And that'd be a major, major liability. Uh, so... He patted it around, and he came up with the idea of, I said, why would, can't we get a, enclose it in heavy plastic and uh, something like that, and we at least could move it, you know? So we had a custom-made swimming pool liner made for it. You made a diaper. <laughs> yeah, and, and we had a diver cut the propeller off. And, uh, and... <clears throat> So it wouldn't tear up this thing, you mm -hmm. know, and uh, pull that, pull that all up tight around her, and uh, <laughs> put pumps go. in there, and then yeah. um, I made them take a couple of barrels of uh, liquid foam, so if something went wrong, they could dump that into her, you know, mm -hmm. and she say, the guy had her, we got a salvage company to go up and get her. And they had her in Gloucester in five days. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, and uh, again, rebuilt in Camden. But, but you know, shortly after that, they got her hauled out, and I went down to look at her. They were going to start the sandblaster. And they had started sandblaster. And I said, what are you doing this for? Why right, just cut it off. <laughs> yeah, I said, you know, you take the gun, it just goes through everything. Yeah. Just cut it off and start putting a new bottom in her, huh. which they did. But he... The owner, shortly after that, within a year or two into the project, he went bankrupt. Hmm. Yeah. Literally bankrupt. Yeah. Another fellow came along? Well, it was a long time in between. She laid around. She sank up in Boston. She laid around for, what, probably another... 10, 15 years. But she's out now with a professional captain yeah, and a good owner, right? But the, but you have to deal with reality. <clears throat> they, they did this job on the West Coast, and they cut her in three pieces and trucked her out there, okay? When they got out there, they had to leave. They had to, they had to, they had to just leave the project and start over. They, 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 they couldn't save the hull. It didn't make any sense. They built a new hull. The houses had been saved, and they're restored. The engine's been restored. Uh, it's a beautiful job, and I'm happy to see it done, Yeah. regardless of... But you wonder about the expense yeah. and trouble sometimes, yeah. don't you? Yeah. 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 
Giffy right. has got to go off to the vet, and uh, we are sorry. And, and uh, Giffy, if yeah, we uh, if we miss you for the rest of the season, we're sorry, and we'll look forward to seeing you in the springtime. Oh, God I'll willing. Be, I'll be back. Yeah. Okay. Call from uh, call from Florida if you feel. Right. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. I'm sorry to run off on you. Oh no, no problem. It's okay. No problem. Now imagine again that uh, boat is beautiful. It's a rare creation. It's a it's a uh, it's a very expensive uh, special old antique. Okay, let's imagine that they brought it into the antiques road show, and uh, it will be up to those fellows to to uh, divine the condition of it and its value. And of course, in its condition, <laughs> what is its value? And as it is replaced, and none of it's original anymore. Now, what's its antique value? But right. but we're talking about a dream. Uh, boats are dreams. Right. Uh, Where the expense exceeds the value. Well, but that's that's again one of our uh, boat talk favorite subjects. Boats uh, boats is dreams. Uh, the people who do silly things around them, well, they're dreaming. You know, uh, raw faith, raw faith. You know, yeah. uh, people like that. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. And one of the side things in that too is uh why aren't there more steam engines now i was going to go to the handicap sailing place but uh i would think uh we were talking about this before we went on the air i would think because of on-demand power um we oh. want big power and we want it now that's true they you do know? take a little while to wind up don't they but yeah i mean uh you know uh, people criticize the uh hybrids as rubber band uh toy kind of you know give me some give me some good honest acceleration potential mm -hmm. when I need it and uh, like I say in the background all the time when I don't. Well why don't they make some uh, little compression tanks behind the steam engine where you could store some steam engine. Yeah <laughs> well uh, you know uh, you ever pass a Stanley steamer out on the road I have. Uh, no but I heard they go up to 100 miles an oh, hour. Oh it's a beautiful sight <laughs> and, they, and they go. Um, I was going to go to the uh, handicapped sailing place the raw faith uh, come up there just for a minute talking about dreams I don't have it in front of me here but in the paper there was a fellow, I believe he's French, and I think he was in Camden, or I know he's in Belfast at the time, and uh, he has a, um, a multi-hull. I forget if it's a trimaran or a catamaran, doesn't really matter. He is paralyzed and in a wheelchair. He is the captain of this boat, and his mission is to take other people out sailing, sort of like the accessible uh, mm -hmm. handicapped sailing mm -hmm. people, raw faith stream. Yeah. He's actually doing it, and uh, so... The mission, I guess, does live on. It was not a bad idea, and it can be done. Um, he's approached it, uh, of course, in an entirely different way than George did with his uh, home-built galleon there, Raw Faith, which uh, sank last December. But anyway, uh, there's another fella uh, basically doing the same thing, handicapped sailing. He's uh, talking about spending the winter in Belfast, I believe, and that might be crea uh, related to the Front Street shipyard again. Uh, in the water? Uh, unknown. Mm. Unknown. Ooh. Yeah, and like I say, I had that, but uh, don't have it in front of me this morning. We are still doing boat talk this morning. We'd love it if you give us a call, one eight six six two five nine three seven eight. We can talk to ourselves, but uh, hopefully we wouldn't have to, nope. you know. Time is sailing by, so you only got yeah. about ten minutes left. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Got to mention this too, because I forgot it before. Um, we talked last last month about the Penobscot expedition in Castine in 1779. Well, uh, John Greenman from the comedy show, nine o'clock on uh, what the last Monday of the month on Monday mornings. Uh, John and Arthur Morrison uh, do the comedy show. Oh yes. John Greenman used to work at Maine Public Television, and in the day. 
he wrote and produced an hour TV show called Penobscot. In one day? The No. <laughs> Penobscot, the battle no one remembers. Okay. Okay? Yep. And it is an, a, a delightful MPBN hour of television that focuses on the fact that in 1979, uh, 200 years in, several hundred, if not uh, most of a thousand people came to Castine to recreate the battle, dressed up as British soldiers, American uh, uh, militia, and the whole nine yards. MPBN filmed all that. And again, this, this uh, uh, documentary hour of television is called Penobscot, The Battle No One Remembers. It is locally available at Northeast Historic Films. They have preserved it, and they will give you a copy for the copying price. We don't do prices here on the community radio. They're an underwriter and, uh, uh, you know, a big help to us here, another local nonprofit. Mm -hmm. But if you're interested in seeing what went down in Castine in 1779, Penobscot, the battle no one remembers at Northeast Historic Film, is available for the copying charge, and it is just delightful. It features the history, all the reenactors, and then we talk about reenacting after that. Hmm. Absolutely delightful. Uh, couldn't recommend it more. John Greenman. Uh, from the comedy show now here at ERU. Yeah, thank you, John. Phone rang. We do have a phone call. Oh, my yes. goodness. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hi, uh, my name is Neil from Belfast. Hi, Neil. Uh, I wanted to comment on the <coughs> uh, Bath Ironworks uh, that you were talking about earlier. I was driving, so I, I couldn't call. But um, I worked uh, as a supplier to the <coughs> precision machine building trade in Vermont, which would have been Springfield and Windsor in the early 90s. So I sold, uh, I sold equipment to them, and they were building large machines for uh, Detroit, you know, for gear grinding and gearing and you name it. Um, at that time, I remember talking to a number of people about um, what the next generation was going to be of, of machine builders, and they had the same problem. They had guys in their 40s, 50s, 60s, fantastically skilled uh, read the most complex blueprints, and they had nobody coming up. The, the younger generation was not interested. Uh, so that's uh, eventually that, that whole trade dry, died out in Precision Valley, Vermont. Those companies uh, are mostly gone. There's only a few small rebuilders in business now. So I would suggest that Bath Ironworks, if they want to survive, they have a very aggressive apprenticeship program. Uh, and that's all that's going to work. And we're assuming that uh, the Chinese are great machine tool people, the Pakis, the Indians, I mean, you know, but the Americans, somebody's, uh, if we don't make things and we only consume, I don't understand how it's right. going to hang together, Neil. Right. Well, the, the machine train building trade had already started to move to Japan at that time. Uh, but, um, you know, it's a big problem if you don't have another generation coming through. And uh, so... That's my experience. <laughs> and we're back to we're back to the dream again. In this case, it's the American dream. I'm going to get this job. I can spend my career here. They will. I will show up and do them good work, and and uh, you know they'll take right. care of me. I'll have a decent life. I'll get a. I'll, I'll uh, work. I'll get a vacation. I'll have a camp, and I'll be able to retire. You know, the American right. dream. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, they've got to get started on it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> nice show. Right. I appreciate yeah. the. Uh, Appreciate the show. It was great. Right. Yep. Thank, thank you, Neil. And uh, you know, uh, as somebody said on a bus, I was riding back from a delivery the other day. Are we? Uh, 
are we in a cycle or are we bumping down the stairs? You know? Well, you have another phone call. Oh, again, thank goodness. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hi. Uh, thanks for the show. This is Davey from uh, Brooklyn. Hi, Davey. And um, I really like the uh, direction you're taking uh, about uh, re-educating ourselves in the craft uh, and being able to produce basically in the country or hopefully even in the state what we decide we want to use uh, in uh, I just I wish it weren't so difficult I've heard talk on the show about uh, the problems that insurance regulations can create uh, and just fantasizing from where we are now where I see like right in uh, beautiful downtown Brooklyn there's a beautiful vacant building and the old odd fellows lodge standing empty and for sale uh, which would make an extraordinary uh, location for a craft school, for example. A high school, there's no high school in Brooklyn. Uh, how many hurdles are there that, that, that are really, really in the way between us setting up a, a, a place where some of the, you know, the few really skilled remaining craftsmen in the country can uh, teach what they know to the few kids who have decided they really want to know it, uh, and to make that possible by creating a space which is somehow rather beneath the radar screen of the uh, all the insurance purveyors. And the, I mean, you know, like the school, for example, it's not it's not insulated, it's not central heated. Uh, you know, there are problems, uh, and once uh, you know you get to a certain point of uh, uh, largeness in this whole thing, it, it, the problems really can be overwhelming, but I think if we scheme about it and, and keep ourselves uh, focused on our, our grassroots essences, we might be able to get through this somehow or other. Well, once again, Dave, you're dreaming, and uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the American dream is that anything is possible. Now, I've heard a couple of things lately. I've heard that we're the richest nation on earth. I've also heard we're broke. I don't understand any of that. And uh, uh, you also spoke about insurance regulations, Dave, and I'm going to take this. Uh, we're almost uh, run out of time here on Boat yeah. Talk. Yeah, thank you, you for calling I'm, I'm going to go off the air. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Um, one of my little pet peeves is the foreign flags on American super yachts, okay, the large uh, heavy metal, as we call them, the big power boats, the 100-plus uh, footers and stuff with the five decks and the top uh, flying bridge jacuzzi. They're all flying the flag of uh, the, Brit uh, the, the Red Ensign. They're, they're uh, from the Cayman Islands, so ostensibly. The new one is the flag of the Marshall Islands, which is a U.S. Uh, sweatshop protectorate with big tax advantages. Talked to some uh, powerboat people recently, and they set me a little bit straight on that. There is a different reason for not putting an American flag on your boat than just to save the tax money, and that is you save the regulatory environment, okay? When you put an American flag on your boat, you're up for a Coast Guard inspection. If you want to charter your boat, uh, the Coast Guard is going to inspect your boat. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to have American crew. Those people are expensive. Ooh. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it has, apparently, insurance ra uh, ramifications uh, beyond just the, the tax ramifications of the American flag. And, and again, uh, just the recent hurricane here, there was a big parade of powerboats, big powerboats up this coast to get away from them and uh, watched a bunch of them sail by, and again, not one of them's got an American flag on it. 
And, uh, yeah, but there's reasons. There's layers and layers. Nothing's all that simple. Yep. They're piping us out, Alan. Yep. I see, <laughs> speaking of flags, I see the Flemish flag flying. Yep. All right. So time for us to make room for Jim Bahoosh coming up next with On the Wing here on Community Radio, WERU-FM Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Van Gogh and around the world at WERU.org. Support for Boat Talk made possible in part by Gamble & Hunter Sailmakers, making sales for a classic